0: history fans
1: and welcome back to the history explains to all podcast, where we cover a variety of historical topics
0: from the stone age to the modern age i'm lauren i'm Alyssa, and we are officially starting our halloween season special bookie yeah. Tap is here and i'm ready for it i think we both are always i mean i've already done like the nails so heck yes so today's episode is on my choice yeah this this one is her choice but it's absolutely fascinating his name is Gilles Duray Gilles Duray
1: who is Gilles Duray Well, we'll stick around and find out and there's a an an extra little added bonus to his story I did not know until I found out the first time
0: oh well that'll be fun yeah in the meantime we're gonna do uh this is brought to you by no I'm kidding. Just uh, don't forget to check us out on our social medias. We have Instagram and Facebook. Both of them are History Explains It All underscore podcast. Three times a week. Now it's Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. I put up either Archaeology in the News, Today in History, and a Photo Friday. So don't forget to check those out. And also, that's where we put up every new episode blurb that we put up. Every Thursday. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm staring at Melissa like, hello, you okay? <laughs>
1: I'm waiting for to give
0: a disclaimer. The rest is up to you. And don't forget, if you would like to reach out to us, History Explains all at gmail.com is our email. We'd love to hear back from you. Put it in comments. Let us know what you think. Reach out. We want to know what you think. And if you have any ideas, if you've got any topics that you want us to cover, send it our way. Send it our way. We're prepped for it. Also, please leave us a rate and review, that way people can find us and it also lets us know how you feel about the podcast, because we love this and we hope that you are too. It does actually seem like people are, because we're getting
1: more listens and we have more uh, average uh, views per episode now, so hey, it's going up a bit. Whoa! I do also want to start off with our, our Halloween-style episodes for this month they are extra spooky they are not for children <laughs> i will put that disclaimer at front of each one um, but we are going into some pretty dark historical topics this month so for this particular episode this does reference serial killing murder potential pedophilia and potential child murders among many other things so, if you're not into that, I would recommend skipping this episode. Particularly, this might be too excessive. It is a little graphic at times. And this episode will be listed as explicit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think maybe all four of them might be explicit. Don't know what you're talking about. Not at all. Never heard of that word. But if you're crazy and weird like us and like horror, yeah, stick around. You're going to, this one's. It's a doozy.
0: It sure is. Shall we get started? Uh, go right ahead. Alrighty. ready. childhood was interesting. Don't know when he was born. We just know he was born sometime in the 1450s. 1405. I'm sorry. I just flipped the five and the zero. <laughs> I'm literally staring at it and it says 1405 and my ding-dong self said 1450. Uh, maybe I'm a little dyslexic and I didn't know that. But 1405... She's Louise. To uh, Guy the Second de Mont Mont-Mercie, Laval and Marie de Crayon yeah. yeah, yeah, at their yeah. estate at Champquay sur the Wall. You've been working on your French. I actually have not. I'm but it has an accent flow to it, I and mean, once you pick it up, it goes. Sweet. That means I'm doing better at my pronunciations of words that I do not in languages I do not speak. Don't expect me to do it with Danish or anything else that you're learning because it ain't going to happen. <laughs> and his father died during a hunting accident when Jill was 10. And his mother didn't live much longer. She died a little bit over a couple of months later. And from an unknown cause, we have no idea what it was. We just know she kind of keeled over and died, I guess. The face Melissa's making. Could have been
1: an accident. <clears throat> Could have been poisoning.
0: You never know. We have no idea. There's no proof of one way or the other. And he had a younger brother named Grené. And they were sent to live with their maternal grandfather, Jean de Creon. And he wasn't a great grandfather. Put it that way.
1: Oh, he really wasn't.
0: Oh, that's an understatement of the century.
1: I know, wait till next week. That's an understatement. Uh-oh. Same style, but understatement. Yeah, well, that... that mm, I know
0: what next week is. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my favorite mm. of all of them. It's okay, the last two are my... And they really are. The first two are my choices. The last two are more or less
0: her choices. Jean de Caillonne was not a good person. Basically, the only thing he gave about was power and status, and, you know, the cash. And anything that would uh, put more cash in his coffers, so to speak. He probably did... I wonder if he did the same thing to his daughter. The, uh, oh, the grandfather? Jodray's G- mom. Mm. Uh, Marie. Yeah. I wonder if he did the same thing and basically s- sold her off. But any. If he had to use a person, it didn't matter if you were family or not, he would use you if it meant putting more money in his pockets. And when Gilles was 12 years old, his grandfather tried to have him married off to the wealthiest heiress in Normandy, named Jean Penel, Jean. Jean Payneau. Gilles Doré was 12 years old at the time, Jean was four. Standard practice. It actually was at the time, yeah. yeah. I mean, you didn't really live a super long time back then, normally.
1: Right, but you were, married, you were, you were essentially um, engaging them early, and then the official marriage would be dated when they're of an yeah. age, and then you have the wedding by 14.
0: Yeah, which in our standards is still early, of course, because we live a much longer time period.
1: And the status is just different.
0: Yes. And, well, let's say that that did not work out for Jean de Creon at all, and Gilles did not marry the young Normandy heiress, however he kept trying to have Gilles married off, and he tried to have him married to the niece of the Duke of Normandy, Beatrice de Rohan. That also did not work out, and after several unsuccessful attempts, he finally became successful in marrying Gilles de Rey to the heiress. La, the heirs of La Vendie and Poitou. 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 Catherine de Thouaz of Brittany. And they got married on November 30th of uh, 1420. And in 1433, Catherine had their only child that they had together.
1: Now, if anyone just caught those dates, I'm going to repeat them they were married in 1420. Their first child was 13 years later. In most instances, you hear about that even back in historical records and you go what was going on. Usually, the first child's within the first year of marriage. Well, that leads us to our
0: next section. Are you sure?
1: No, not at all.
0: You know, he wasn't known for his military work. But he was gone in the military
1: for that time. It's, yeah. like, it's like the Spartans. You, once you're in a Spartan army, up until 30, then if you're still alive, then you can get married and have kids.
0: I mean, there was what's known as the Hundred Years' War during this time. Which was not a hundred years.
1: It was close. It was enough. 116. It's close enough.
0: <laughs> it's close enough, okay? <laughs> it's not like they're calling it the Two-Century War. Or... The century and a half war. Century and a quarter.
1: <laughs> century and a quarter life crisis.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess that would be closer to the truth. You're welcome. Gilles Duray ended up going off on several military exploits. In the mid-1300s, there was a war in Brittany for succession and it was between the Count of Blois Blois, yes yes I I don't I know. It doesn't quite roll all the time. No it does not. And the House of Montforts. The Monfort the House of Montfort did end up winning. But this did not stop the the House of Blois Blois. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the best From, we're gonna get. Yeah. From continuing to plot. And there was the Treaty of Guerande, Guaraná. Guaraná. I think. Or, no, you're right. Guarande?
1: I'm the one being. Yeah. Guerande, Guarande, yeah. I'm, Sweet. No. Me being dyslexic
0: now. <laughs> Which was in 1365. It was basically the peace treaty between the two houses. Well, one house obviously did not keep to it. I'm not going to repeat the name. In the 1420s, the Duke of Brittany, John the VI, was actually captured by the Blah, blah faction. Calling Can I call them Blah Blah? <laughs> you can't do whatever what? Whatever's easier for you. Also what is
1: Blah? <laughs> <laughs> that is how you say it. Blah. Blah.
0: Okay. Gilles Jill and Jean took the side of the Montforts and... Fought against the Blah family. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. Now that you've said that, I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> nah, I just keep going. With it.
1: <laughs> this is the last time that they're going to make an, an entrance, zone, whatever.
0: So basically, Jill and Jean fought on the, on the Mons, side. on the Montfort side. Yeah, and the Duke ended up being released, and both uh, Jean and Jill were well rewarded. Now, when we're talking about Jean, we're talking about Joan of Arc.
1: No. We're talking about Jean. Jean has two ends. First of all, Jean with two ends about. Jean, their grandfather. Thank Jean, you. his grandfather, and Gilles were both fighting in the Hundred Years' War on the winning side
0: of the war yeah. succession. I was going to say, that's super confusing in the notes. There's no, what? Well, I don't know that Jean needs two ends. I do not know French in that sense. Well, if I were, if it was, Jean, Jean. if it was Joan of Arc, I would have said Joan of Arc. Maybe that's just me, but, uh, so Jean was his grandfather on Jean. his, I'm sorry, Jean was his grandfather on his father's side. Think Picard. Jean-Luc Picard. That's true. I do mess that up and say Jean-Luc Picard sometimes. It works the mean? same way. Jean, Jean. Jean and Jean are the same. I know. John versus Jean. Okay. I say the very English version most of the time, <laughs> not the very correct version. There's a difference. <laughs> so basically his grandfather and him were rewarded for their services and uh, gained quite a bit of income and land. And in 1427 to 1435, Gilles became the commander in the Royal Army and did quite a fight during the 100 Years War. Reminder... This is the time of Joan of Arc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're alive during the same time. And in put, France at the same time. Put that into perspective. Because that blew my mind that I'm talking about the time of Joan of Arc. Actually, in 1429, Gilles de Ray was her commander during, during the fight. He was the commander of the regiment that she fought in. And he fought alongside Joan of Arc, but he was also with her during the siege of Orleans, which they won against the lovely English. Mm-hmm. He was appointed her protector, actually. Mm-hmm. Yep. And after the siege of Orleans, he won a, He became one of four French lords that were chosen to carry oh, the holy ampulla which was a vial of oil used in anointing French kings. Woo-hoo! It would go from the Abbey of St. Remy yep. yep. to notre dame de Reims for the coronation of Charles VII. Yes, so that is obviously not something most people are probably familiar with. During this
1: time, after the win of the French over the English at the end of the 1420s into the 30s, the king... Or, or uh, the the dauphin, as in the heir to the throne, Charles, who will become Charles the seventh, is released. He's um, taken to France, or taken to Paris for the coronation. And because of their incredible success in the wars, their deeds, uh, plus their obviously nobility, the four highest achievement lords, I guess, if you will. Um, And the army were chosen specifically to carry this anointing oil from the sacred church to the coronation
0: site in Notre Dame. Fascinating. Could not probably get a higher honor than that.
1: Although, maybe
0: for Gilles Dernay, we'll see. On the day that he was chosen to carry the vial, he was also made the Marshal of France. Big step up. Yeah, I mean, that gives him control of the entirety of the French military. Correct. So, that's quite a feat there. And again, like we said, this is quite an honor. You've been he had been given this position due to the exceptional amount of valor. So, quite quite a feat. And then also following the siege of oh, siege of Orléans, Gillery was granted permission to add the fleur-de-lis to his coat of arms. Don't really understand what the fleur de lis is, other than that's this really pretty symbol. It's the royal family, <laughs> it's the royal family's symbol. So, the fleur de lis holds quite a significant amount of, of power to show the family support, the royal family support to Gilbert
1: mm-hmm.
0: and his family, and his family because, again. He was able; he was allowed to have that painted on his with his coat of arms. That that's quite a, another second feat to be granted. And then his grandfather on his mother's side, Jean, died in fourteen thirty two, November fourteen thirty two to be exact. He Gildory actually didn't get much out of his father's grandfather's death because Gildory was known for being quite excessive in his spending his <laughs> face up. Yes. We'll get to it. Absolutely.
1: It's like that is Hen- correct. like Henry Cyril Padgett, which in that episode, I described him like a Gilles Duré, and now we're going to make a 180 and do the same thing again.
0: Yeah. So his grandfather, instead of willing anything to Gilles Duré, he actually willed everything to René, Gilles Duré's younger brother.
1: Right. Well, most of everything, yeah. And, and obviously his prized army sword and armor were yeah. gifted to the younger brother when it should have automatically gone yeah. to yeah. Gilles. I mean, he's the one with the military service. True. But what also his grandfather did is, if I remember correctly, he also gave the, t- the land titles to René bypassing Gilles and the courts. And uh, they would go back and forth quite a bit deciding who gets which castle. Oh, um, another uh, on the point when she's talking about the Lee, Gilles de Ray received a letter upon the permission to use the Floridely, and the letter it says it states this because of his high and commendable services, great perils and danger, and many other brave feats. So uh, again, much like Henry Cyril Paget, once Gilles was more or less in control by. 1434, not long after the death of his grandfather two years before, and his daughter the year before, Gilles decided to retire from the military as Marshal of France and pursue his greatest personal interest. Theatre
0: Oh Lord. <laughs> Here it comes. Yes,
1: yes, again much like Henry Cyril Paget. And he would oh we're gonna we're gonna get into it, but One of his, he would write shows sometimes, and one of the productions is called La Mysterie The Siege d'Orléans, which is a play about Joan of Arc and her role during the siege of Orléans. And this play alone, just this one play, I'm assuming this is probably much like it for all the plays, but we have this one on record. Crazy extravagant. Get ready to have your mind blown. This one play, The Mystery of the Siege of Orléans, had over 20,000 lines of verse, 140 speaking parts, and 500 extras for a play in the 1430s. That's ridiculous.
0: Uh
1: Uh-huh. The play premiered on May 8th of 1435. In this play, there were 600 costumes.
0: Again, ridiculous.
1: Mm-hmm. No wonder his grandfather willed him like <laughs> no money. We're still not done even close to that. I'll get to it. The thing about the costumes, almost kind of like Henry old pageant yet again. Except Gilles DeRay had tons more money than Paget. pageant. The entirety of the 600 costumes would be worn once, discarded, and remade. Every single one. Only worn once.
0: So many things gone wrong right yeah. there. Uh, oh, you're, it's
1: even better. In addition to extravagant, highly exuberant plays, there was also unlimited food and drink for anyone that came to the theater and it was all paid for obviously to entice people to come and well, we'll see how expensive this gets but unlimited free food and free drinks to an extravagant play with 600 costumes so by the time gilles grandfather died gilles was nearly bankrupt Because he kind of started doing this, he started doing it before he retired and around the time that his grandfather passed away. But it was after his grandfather passed away when his grandfather could not control him anymore is when he went off the deep end. In the early 1430s, in order to save himself from bankruptcy, he had to sell off many, many items of his family's property. And particularly starting in March of 1433 is when he sort of did it. And eventually he would only have two castles left. Mm. I don't know how many castles he had to start off with, but geez. Um le roy and Engrandes. Those remain in his possession. Now, according to reports, half of the sales of the mortgages from these two castles in 1433 he acquired to use in the production of the Siege of Orléans. I can imagine how much mortgage that would have been. In addition to all this, on his main estate, Gilles built the Chapel of the Holy Innocents, which was open to anybody who wanted to come on, presided over by Gilles. And essentially, in a certain aspect, he created his own religion in that, and this is kind of more like that uh, from the Eccentric Bishops episode, Mad Jack Allington, who would preside over in like a cheetah outfit and moccasins and give people free beer. (laughs) Great episode. Recommend checking that one out. Very funny. But Gilles, he opened, he made his own chapel, but because it wasn't a church blessed chapel it was not recognized by the church so technically he created his own church that being it's not officially recognized by the catholic church even though it was supposed to be for catholic services so not only because he had a massive spending problem but also because he had no concept of savings again he was very quickly nearly bankrupt just one month after the Siege of Orléans premiered, his family attempted to stop his spending habits. Mm-hmm. how'd that work out? Um, actually, better than you might think. Uh, they actually, in order, because they knew that the French king could not do too much about it, they went over the king's head to Pope Eugene IV to ask him to help out. You know it's a really big problem when you ask for them. It's one thing to ask for the Pope's blessing, it's another to go to the pope and go, our lord, um, like like the, the 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 duke's vassal is spending too much money. And we can't get him to stop. We need your help. So what they did with the pope is they tried to, because Gilles was like this. This is a recognized church. It's part of the the, the Catholic Church. And then Pope Eugene comes in and goes, no, no, it's not. I don't recognize this. This is not a valid church. But yeah, he, that, that didn't work, though, just because the, the, the Pope tells you to stop doing something when you're previously the Marshal of France. There's only so many people you're going to listen to. So after that did not work, they turned to the king. And on July 2nd of 1435, the king issued a royal edict publicly proclaimed and the cities of Orléans, Tours, Angers, and Poussage, as well as the castle uh, in the castle in the village of his main castle, and in it, it specifically denounces Ray as a spendthrift and royally forbidding him from selling anything to anybody, particularly any of his property. Ooh. the thing about that was also, and there's a great. PDF. So then one of our links is the criminal procedure in the church courts of the 15th century as illustrated by the trial of Gilles de Rey as a PDF file. It's been, it'll be in our link notes. It's a 23-page little pamphlet, but it has some really great information about what the church was like back then, ecclesiastical church, um, as well as ecclesiastical and secular courts. And on top of that. The Trial of Gilderay. It's from 1915 too, so it's really interesting. But it also talks about the uh, proclamation or, or the declaration by the king about not letting anyone help out with the Gilderay's performances. Well, I mean, I guess
0: he messed that up himself. So. Oh, was t- everything was
1: totally his complete fault, yeah. So it also stated... Oh, so actually, what it, what it did, there was when... The people who bought the property were also other lords, and they were, once it kind of got out that he was a spendthrift, they thought, oh oh no, his creditors are going to come now for me because I own the property he owes credit on, and so it was kind of a hot mess. It was a hot mess for sure, yeah. The letter of decree from the king also stated that no one under the reign of Charles VII could enter into a contract as well with Jill of any kind and that those who were in charge of his two remaining castles cannot at any point relinquish
0: control to their lord. Wow. Basically, it sounds like Jill was stuck. Yep. Oh, yeah. Better start saving up that money, although
1: I don't think he did. He didn't have much money left, and as soon as all this became public, his creditors began to hound him. Yeah. As you would. It's like I won my money. Yeah, exactly. And obviously not having the money, he... Used many of his possessions because now he can't sell anything to get the money because he would use it anyway, he would not give it to his creditors. He tried to use it as collateral. He had a lot of stuff there's illuminated art, manuscript art, regular art manuscripts, books, and a very expensive, expensive fancy clothing. And at one point, he actually had to leave the Orleans area in the summer of 1435. And he left many of his personal belongings behind as a payment. And then he fled to nearby Brittany, which at the time was not yet part of France, where the edict was actually not in force and it found a place there. And the fact that it's essentially outside the court of France because Brittany was not part of France yet, there was nothing nor that the Duke of Orleans nor the King could do to stop his spending.
0: I guess somebody could do whatever he
1: wanted. Well, it's kind of like going back to Henry Paget. Once he got taken to court for bankruptcy and everything, his family gave him some money, but really had a tight control. And he fled to Italy, where he died. And, well, Jill didn't die, at least not yet. Hmm. It'll be a while. Mm-hmm. After spending a few years in Brittany away from the control of anyone that wouldn't let him spend as much money as he wanted to, he's now incredibly broke. But also he, he doesn't want to face his creditors. He wants a consistent high flow of cash wherever he can get it. Well, he doesn't have it and he's too noble to do any work. So where do you think he turned to, to try to get money? Keep in mind, it's the 1430s. Uh,
0: Friends? Nope,
1: no one is allowed to go into contract with him or giving money. Uh,
0: Outside? Outside of where? Outside of Brittany in France? Oh, no. I don't know where.
1: Alchemy and demon
0: summoning. Oh, so he, he turned to the dark eyes. Yes. Magic and sorcery.
1: Yes. I was a kind of not expecting that twist. Yeah, I was not. because The Joan of Arc twist caught me the first time I heard about it. I was like, oh, wow, really? And then into the trying to summon a demon. Like, okay. This is definitely not going where I thought it would. It, what he wanted to do with alchemy is obviously change base metal to gold and get and study income of, of stuff and make liquid gold and anything he could sell, but you can't do that. So apparently recently at this time, he had met the priest named Eustace, uh, Eustace Blanchet, Eustace? Blanchette, and as well as clerics Francois Prelati and... Prelati tried, with Gilles' help, to convince Blanchet, the priest, to follow him in his new passion of summoning a demon in order to increase their finances. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Blanchet apparently had some knowledge on alchemy, which was a thing for people at the time.
0: But my question is, how does summoning a demon increase your finances? It just means you summoned a demon into the world, if that's what you actually did. I
1: would think it'd be like selling your soul to the devil for constant, never-ending cash.
0: We're doing Oscar Wilde here. Gotcha. Yep, yep, yep. Except in Oscar Wilde's case, it was youth. Yeah. According to his book, The Portrait of Dorian Grunt.
1: Sounds about right. So, Blanchette the Priest New alchemy. The cleric, Prelati claimed that he had knowledge on summoning demons. So Prelati traveled to Florence, or sorry, from Florence to to Tiffage with his magical books on summoning demons and began assisting Jill in his plight to increase his cash. Prelati performed his various rituals and at one point throughout the weeks of doing this, exclaimed that he had been successful in summoning a specific demon Named Baron. Two works.
0: So Barron. Yeah, sure. Baron. Yeah. I mean that's the technical pronunciation, but Barron. Barron. <laughs> that's how I'm calling him. He's Barron.
1: <laughs> baron. Sure. Jill's like, you you got a demon to come out? Like, oh, I wanna meet this demon. I wanna yell you know. So Perline's like hey, I, let, let me let me let me work with him first and then we'll get you around to meeting him. But he says he's interested in helping you.
0: Of course. Yeah. What demon isn't interested in helping you for a price? Exactly. And knowing this, Gilles
1: De drew up a contract he wanted to enter in with Demon Baron, gave it to Perlati, and asked Perlati to give it to Demon Baron upon the next summoning. Oh,
0: Lord. So he could look over it and then sign up. What a mistake. Yeah. What a mystery. So, claiming
1: that he had given Demon Baron the contract that Ray wanted to give him, and saying that that summoning was successful, Shil was still more impatient. He wanted to meet Baron in person, and exclaimed to Perlotti that he wanted to be there present when the demon was summoned. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So... They tried and tried, and Frelati tried three different times in the presence of Gilderoy to summon Baron demon. Guess
0: what happened? He didn't summon him. Exactly. He wasn't actually there. Right. He was not real. Right. Because demons don't exist. Sure.
1: <laughs> Almost, in this case. So, no, he never showed up. However, Jules had been told by Frelati... That, you know, he's not going to actually show up when you're here. I've told you that. But if you really want to see him, he's going to need a request filled. Then he'll make his grand appearance in person. So the show goes, well, what does he want? What do you think he wanted as a demon?
0: Uh, your soul. Yes, but no. Oh, okay. Um, your, your money. He has no money. Right. Uh, your firstborn child. Already have that it's Earl, they don't want it. I thought it was just a child and that it wouldn't matter. But okay. Uh, uh, but you're close
1: to the child, part.
0: Your wife. No. The blood of a child.
1: So Baron exclaimed to Perlati that should your lord want to see me emerge in person, you must sacrifice a child to me. Um, it's not known how Gilles received what he thought was child's blood. But he showed up at the next time that Perlotti said he was going to try to summon Baron with a vial of blood. And Perlotti did his ritual in which he claimed he could summon the demon Baron. Never showed up. Yeah,
0: surprise. Why would this guy ever show up? No, of course not. I mean, is that truly... Honest to God. Uh, uh, What?
1: In a certain sense, it also gives me feels of John Dean and Edward Kelly. Fair enough. Gilles is increasingly and increasingly bankrupt. Not a good sign in general. And now he's going against church wishes because he has a church. People will come and participate in his church. But his church is not recognized by the Pope, therefore... And Catholicism, it's not valid. And on top of that, he now is potentially kidnapping and sacrificing children to summon a demon. So he's practicing magic and the dark arts. He's practicing alchemy. He's practicing murder. uh, He's a heretic because he's going against church doctrine. There's a lot building up here for the previously retired Marshal of France. So eventually he's taken to court and his court confession, which we'll definitely get into, Gilles Rais told the court that at one point, under probably much torture by this point, he had begun assaulting and murdering children as early as 1432. Before I continue with that, it just hit me what the title of this section was. And for anyone who did not catch the disclaimer at the beginning, we are now going to very briefly talk about uh, Hmm. potential really gross things with possibly children.
0: That probably didn't actually happen, but fair warning. It might have, and this is still not something that if you are not prepared to listen to, don't listen. Just please. Skip about five minutes.
1: So, at the probable under-torture confessing to his crimes in the church, he also claimed that it first happened at chatons sur Loire. At his main castle, but there are no accounts of any of this at all. This is all by the witnesses at his trial. There are no documents that any of this actually happened. When he moved from his main castle to Mashiko in Brittany, he said that he'd begun to now kill an uncertain number of children, but not before he sexually assaulted them. And again, This, we'll get into this in the next section, whether or not this stuff really actually happened. The first known account from surviving records of the court trial is of a child named Judon. And story goes that Gilles asked two of his cousins, Gilles and Roger, to acquire Judon for the master. The two boys went to a furrier and then asked to borrow his apprentice to take a message to Gilles de Ray. So Gilles was sent. And when the boy didn't return, the furrier asked the two cousins about it. They said they didn't know where their, their cousin was and maybe he'd just been carried off by thieves at Tiffage to become a page. I don't know who this child is. I've never before seen him in my life. I don't know what happened. It's and, still a terrible story. Oh, it's a very disturbing story at this point. So, in a biography of Gilles Duray from 1971, author Jean Benedetti writes, quote, The boy was pampered and dressed in better clothes than he had ever known. The evening began with a large meal and heavy drinking, particularly hippocrats, which acted as a stimulant. The boy was then taken to an upper room to which only Gilles and his immediate circle were admitted. There he was confronted with the true nature of his situation. The shock thus produced on the boy was an initial source of pleasure for In addition to Blanche and Perlotti, Gilles de Rais also, also had a bodyguard named Etienne Cordial, also known as Poitou, which he will be known for throughout the rest of this. And Poitou was consistent in. Helping his master, and if that meant attaining or summoning children to the castle, that's what it meant. And his confession, he told the court that he had witnessed many times his master preparing the boys for the demon baron. And this would begin with stripping the boys naked, tying them up with ropes, and hanging them from a hook. Then Ray, he claimed, would masturbate onto the boys' bodies. After which, he would then take the boy down, comfort him, tell him that he only wanted to play with him and try to get back into the boy's graces. It's probably right now, they're crying their their heads off. I mean, who wouldn't? This is really scary. And then after- it's gross. It is totally gross. It gets worse. Uh, And after the boy would calm down, according to Poitou's confession, after the boy calmed down, he would then be killed, either by Gilles, Poitou, or another bodyguard, Gilles' cousin, as well, possibly Gilles de And they would typically be killed by either breaking their necks, dismemberment, cutting their throats, or full on decapitation. And it doesn't get any better from there. Because nice. in his own confession at court, Gilles de told the court quote, When the said children were dead, he kissed them, and those who had the most handsome limbs and heads, he held up to admire them. And had their bodies cruelly cut open and took delight at the sight of their inner organs. And very often, when the children were dying, he sat on their stomachs and took pleasure in seeing them die and he laughed. It's recorded in the court records that he would also sometimes keep the head of his victims and put them on display, and he would return from time to time to these skulls and kiss them. Yeah. Yeah presuming much like Bathory and according to Poitou when the when the bodies were finished being assaulted and killed Poitou said that he and or Enriat or one of the other bodyguards would then toss the bodies into one of the fireplaces the clothes would be burned piece by piece to minimize the smell but also make sure that each piece was actually burnt and then all the ashes were gathered up and then disposed of a cesspit in the moat or various hiding places on the castle grounds. The last recorded murder for Gilles Nuret is of the son of Ernest de Blanche, which happened in August of 1440. So he was doing this for about a good seven, eight years, potentially. So despite all these the assaults, all the murders, it is believed that by some that Gilles de body count potentially could have reached the same as Bathory's. Bathory's supposed body count of mm. around 600 is the estimation. Mm. But despite all of these 600 potential children being killed, Baron never manifested and Ray's wealth never increased.
0: Oh, really? Surprises. What a thought. Right? I didn't get money from summoning a fake demon, and then I didn't get money from uh, destroying children. But did he destroy children? We'll get into it. I would- I'm- before we actually get into the details, I'm gonna go with yeah. You think so? This is also the time of the Inquisition. This is also the time of the Inquisition. Yeah, but, I mean, he's pretty desperate. I think he did it. Let's put
1: it all that right, way. All right. Let's
0: see where this goes. But I I will admit when I am wrong, when you can prove that I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, still
1: needing more money, Gilles de thinks up with the scheme. He gets into a fight with a Catholic bishop. Mm. And on May 15th of 1440, he kidnaps said bishop. And uh, just like, that like he was having an argument with the bishop and then decided to kidnap him and take him home to his castle. This, of course, is a very stupid idea. Uh, I'm sorry, there's such a thing as stupid ideas? What? Yes. Right. So not only was it a very stupid idea because he kidnapped a cleric, but it prompted an immediate investigation, particularly by the bishop of Nantes, and that's not good. And this kidnapping of of the cleric, led to the Inquisition and the uncovering of Gilles' potential crimes. Ooh, not good, not very smart. So I've, I've mentioned it before. There's a link in our show notes that will be about a 23-page little pamphlet about the court trials of Gilles Rey. So I'm going to read a little bit from it, just real quick. So there was a letter of defamation issued by the Bishop of Net on the 30th of July of 1440. And it is important according to the pamphlet, I suppose, because it tells you a bit about the accusations against him. So it reads, John, by divine permission, by his grace of the holy Apostolic see Bishop of Net, to all who shall see this letter reading in the Lord in full faith in these presents. We make it known by this letter that having visited the parish of St. Marie of Nantes, whereon the here-and-after mentioned Gilles de Ray often dwelt in a house commonly known as Lesseuse and a parishioner of which church he was, and having visited the other here-and-after mentioned parishes, public and frequent report, first calling our attention to the matter, and this being seconded by the demands and suspicions of the following good and discreet persons. We have cause to diligently examine regarding the here and after mentioned matters and by others. So by these means we have learned and by the depositions of these witnesses, it has come to our knowledge that a certain noble, the Lord Gilles de knight, lord and baron of the said place and subject to our jurisdiction has strangled, slain and inhumanly murdered many innocent boys by his own hand and by means of certain accomplices, and with these same children has performed acts of lust and committed sodomy, and has made and caused to be made again and again the horrid invocations of demons, has sacrificed and made offerings to them, and has entered into a compact with them, and has committed other enormous misdeeds within our jurisdiction, and in many other and diverse visitations by us, our commissioners and procurators undertaken, we learned that the Saint Gilles de has perpetrated the before-mentioned crimes and committed other wicked deeds in our diocese, regarding which things there existed and still exist among good and sober men public and notorious defamation. Unless anyone should hesitate concerning these things, we have ordered and caused these our present letters to be confirmed and strengthened
0: by our seal. I mean, I can't
1: really say much. I'm not surprised. Right. But there was a lot of... It goes a little more in-depth in the PDF file. But it took a while for the... It was a weird court thing. The courts were weird back then. Like, Witnesses were called in and could give their testimony, but then were held by the court for review later. But if anyone testified, it was in the presence of Jill. But then he couldn't question them. And it was weeks and weeks and weeks of back and forth and things like that. And then at one point they told a that he was for the heresy part, at least that he was going to be excommunicated and he did not want that. So he's like, I'll do, I'll, 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 I'll do what you want. Yeah. Just, I won't confess because you made these crimes up. I'm completely innocent of everything you you're, telling me I'm accused of, I did not do any of this, but don't excommunicate me. And at one point, the church says, okay, give us a confession or we're going to torture you. It's in the court records. And apparently, yeah, like as soon as they take him down to the torture chamber and open the door, he immediately supposedly fell on his knees and begged to not be excommunicated and that he would tell them everything they wanted to know, which he did. And then later on in the court trial, he was excommunicated again. So he's excommunicated or threatened with excommunication, not given it, then excommunicated in public by the court. And then at the end of the trial, his excommunication was revoked.
0: Excommunication. No excommunication.
1: Excommunication. Yes. Yeah. No, you're, you're back in. Yeah. We can't. He's a lord. The Bishop of France is not going to be happy if we excommunicate
0: the Marshal of France. Or the person who was the Marshal of France at one point.
1: Right, right. And even the thing is, like, he completely said he was innocent of everything. And he didn't even try to have much of a defense. He's like, my bodyguards and my servants know this story. Talk to them. They'll tell you everything and my name will be cleared. Well, that didn't go to plan. You think? No, that didn't go to plan at all. Some of them, the stories were, they they lined up with each other. But then other ones were, everybody in this case was probably heavily tortured outside of the And one of them was like, yeah, no, I totally, I helped him with everything. I think this would have been Quatu or Perlotti. And he's like, no, I. We did it. We did it. This is how we did it. This is how many we did. And this is what happened. And this is what we were saying and and we were definitely trying to summon demons. It was yeah, and we were trying to turn base to gold and all this kind of stuff. So eventually, we needed
0: money. We needed
1: money because my 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 master cannot control his funds. He's not even paying us. No, just I don't know about that last part, but who knows?
0: (laughs) Probably not.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, you get free room and food. What are you complaining about?
0: i'm not sure that's how i describe it
1: but okay for them it's probably i don't know but in the end though he was excommunicated and then obviously revoked his excommunication he was still found guilty so it was ecclesiastical and secular courts he kind of went mostly through ecclesiastical courts because of the heresy aspect but again there's the potential child murdering potential sodomy potential lust. Alchemy, which is a magic which you're not supposed to do, which, funny enough, everyone did, but only those who got caught got caught.
0: Oh, well, sounds like today. Yeah, yeah. It's not far off. Yeah,
1: and everyone, out, out, every party that was the, the Blanchet, Prelati, Poitou, any servants, and Jill were all found guilty. His bodyguards, Blanchet and Perlati were arrested on September 15th of 1440. And their trials also went to ecclesiastical and secular court. And their charges, when found guilty, were also including sodomy, murder, and heresy as well. Because, again, Blanchet is the priest who knows alchemy. And Perlati is just some person who thinks he knows how to summon a demon. Yeah. And that's against the church.
0: Oh, yeah. Yes. You didn't think you were going to get away with it. They prob- gets caught they, at some point. They probably
1: did. I don't know.
0: Well, they probably thought, oh, well, we're we're in connection with the Lord. We're safe. Right.
1: So, as I mentioned, there were lots of witnesses, but you know, the way the church was organized, it was weird. But this... A lot of... <laughs> that's fine. Gilles and his bodyguards were condemned for heresy. The witnesses produced a lot of hearsay the witnesses were saying i know that they did this i saw them do this i saw them do this with the body or I, I heard that they did this or there was just a weird smell coming from over here or whatever so the witness all came in were people who did not take direct participation in the potential acts of some Stephen barren it was all hearsay If Demon Baron was ever sent. Well, not even that. There were people who were like, "Yeah, my son went to his castle and he's never come home. He killed my son. But do you have direct evidence that he killed your son now? Your son could have been stolen, could have been murdered and just dumped somewhere, could have ran away from home. Who knows? So much like the trial of Bathory, many in the village, as I mentioned, claimed that their children would go to his castle and then never be seen again. And when he was officially finally found guilty after all the different weeks and trials and potential torture and everything that was going on, everything that they were putting him through, he eventually pled guilty and said, I did everything you told me I did. And they caught him on 141 counts of murder, officially.
0: That sounds a little yes.
1: It, oh, well, yeah,
0: it's incredibly.
1: So the trials at I mentioned were very lengthy and they were also really quite graphic too, because they would talk, the witnesses would talk in detail about the things that they either think they saw or heard secondhand about the murders. And the court was actually ordered by the bishop to strike those from the records. So you're not going to find anything that graphic. Biographer George Battier writes the abominable and execrable sin of sodomy in various fashions and with unheard of perversions that cannot presently be expounded upon by reason of their horror, but that will be disclosed in Latin at the appropriate time and place. Yeah. Meaning that we will not put in the people's language the things that they are claiming here in court, but we'll write it in Latin and then put it out in public for people not to be able
0: to read it. Because, you know... That, that makes
1: it so much easier. Right. It just makes it more official, I suppose. I don't know. It is not known how many people, how many children, if any, Gilles Duray and his accomplices killed. From the records, it's believed to be 100, 100 to 200. Some believe as many as 600. It is recorded that majority of the victims were younger boys between the ages of 6 to 18, although there were often some girls, but predominantly boys.
0: Well, I have to say, um, I'm still not unconvinced that he did
1: it. You think he kidnapped and killed 140 children? I
0: don't know if he kidnapped and killed 140, but I'm still not unconvinced that he didn't kill any. I I can imagine he had children.
1: I don't know that he necessarily killed any. But it's like the twins, the the princes of the tower. They weren't necessarily... Potentially murdered. No, I mean, probably. But they could have fallen. and had an accident. They could have died from disease. They died there, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they were murdered there.
0: It doesn't mean that Richard actually killed them. Or someone in his employ, yeah. Don't know. No idea. Okay. So, on October 23rd, 1440, Henriette and Poitou, who made their confessions to the secular court were, of course, found guilty. I mean, they did confess. And they were sentenced to death. Gilles de Rey was sentenced to death two days later, on the 25th. And before he died, he was allowed to make his confession. And he requested that his body be buried in the church of the monastery of Notre Dame de Carmes in Nantes. And he was granted this wish and burial. On the 22nd... 22nd, I'm sorry. On the 26th... Gilles, Poitou, and Henriette were marched to their execution, where Gilles gave a speech about piety and told Poitou and Henriette to think only of salvation as they died. And at 11 a.m., Gilles de Rey was hanged, and Poitou and Henriette were burned at the stake. Reminds me so much of a, of a very different queen that burned so many people at the stake. She has the, a lovely drink named after her. <laughs> it was the Spanish Inquisition. I mean, yeah. And she was Catholic. Mary, yes.
1: Yeah. Catholic, the Spanish Inquisition is Catholic, and Mary was
0: Catholic. They liked to burn people. Well, Mary, was. it wasn't just the Spanish Inquisition. She was I'm talking about Mary of England. No, no, you're talking about Mary of England. Uh, Daughter Catherine of Aragon. Yeah, she's part Spanish. She's part Spanish. And she's Catholic. She's part Spanish. She's Catholic. She's in England trying to reconvert it back to Catholicism. And we're totally going off topic here. As we usually do. Yeah. And she's trying to get Anglicanism out of the country as well as Protestantism. They loved it. Yep. It was like the bomb, as I guess you'd like to call it. Sure.
1: Well, as we've been mentioning, everything here is potential. Or at least <laughs> the crimes, the crimes accused. I can get the heresy crime because I can't imagine he wouldn't have built a chapel on his ground and then have it not be recognized by the Pope, so therefore it's not real. But he still did it anyway because he yeah. told the the, <laughs> the Pope to go away. But the the, the murder, the murder crimes, I guess. Don't think if he did at all, they're not anywhere near the scale that people think they are. But despite his confessions, the confessions of his accomplices, the witness testimony of the parents from the village and much more. Obviously, there have been doubts over the centuries of Gilles Duray's story. And there are some who have actually said that he was a victim of the church and actually part of a revenge plot, possibly because of kidnapping the cleric. Again, it's a very stupid thing. He should not have done it. And it is actually believed that the attempts to clear his name date back as far as 1443.
0: That's not long after his death.
1: Three years after he died. And the early 20th century cultural anthropologist Margaret Murray. Don't really read much into her stuff. She's crazy. And occultist Aleister Crowley read into his stuff. Still crazy.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, they both so unconvincing
1: to for me to read any of that. I'll, I'll read Alistair Crowley. Uh, I, he's fascinating. Margaret Murray, not so much. But
0: I can't wait to hear all the reasoning behind that. That'll be fun. <sighs> so much.
1: Both of them took an interest in DeRay's case, and they began to question the involvement of both the ecclesiastical and the secular courts of the times of the Middle Ages. Crowley described DeRay as, quote, the male... Equivalent of Joan of Arc, whose main crime was the pursuit of knowledge. Exactly wrong on that. Okay. Murray speculated that Gilderay was a witch, which was her biggest shtick, anything that she could call witchcraft, she called witchcraft, and that he took part in a fertility cult that was centered around the goddess Diana. She's a whack job. Huh? Margaret Murray's a whack job.
0: She sounds like it.
1: She's a whack job. In fact, her anthropo- anthropologic views, again, mentioning mostly witches, was particularly because most of her work is centered around witch cult hypotheses and often are rejected by many historians and anthropologists today and back then. And again, she was kind of like the, like, like, Matthew Hopkins. If you say it's a witch, I'll call it a witch.
0: Yeah, we're going back to a couple of years ago on Halloween.
1: Yeah, woo.
0: Yeah, I heard that episode. Yeah, take a listen. Both parts.
1: So, some historians actually view DeRay as a lapsed Catholic who, quote, descended into crime and depravity, and whose real crimes were coincidental to the land forfeitures. And again, he is not no longer a favorite. Or in the, uh, the, the the inner circle of the King of France. His brother owns the titles to lots of stuff. Uh, his brother was eventually favored by their grandfather. So, yeah. English writer Margaret Juby also called herself the Gilles de Rey representation on Earth. Or representative on Earth. And made it her entire life. To work to clear his name. Okay, there's a story behind that. Apparently, mm. she established a website after hearing about it growing up. She established a website in 2012 called Jill DeRague was innocent.com. Mm, I'm
0: trying not to laugh out loud right now.
1: I have not, oh, give me a second. I have not checked to see if this is an actual website.
0: I think you should. Just I'm literally
1: I'm doing as we
0: speak. I am just, I am now so fascinated. I kind of completely forgot to look at it.
1: Actually, I did look at it.
0: I'm far too fascinated now. We need to know.
1: Gilles de innocent.com cannot reach this page. Okay. I did not have a www. Yep, and Now I can't type. Give me a second, guys. Gilles de no longer exists or it's just not popping up on my internet. I can check on mine. Help yourself. Uh, I need to know. Yeah, go ahead. I thought I'd gotten on it earlier when I was doing this research. But regardless, she claims that on their website, there's English and French documents, which she has links to, which explain, and she goes through each one in depth and explains whether they're real or not, and whether they have any truth to his claim one way or the other. She has since published a book, which she claims is the definitive biography on Gilles DeRay and claims that many of those who have written biographies about him are either based on the rumors about him that have been surfacing for centuries, based on previous biographies about those rumors, or both.
0: I have Gilles DeRay was innocent.co.uk.
1: That might be it, because I was typing Gilles DeRay is innocent.com, and I typed in Gilles DeRay was innocent.com, which is the correct one. Well, this one's not... not that is not exactly UK. the one I was on before. Yes, I typed it incorrectly. Okay. Yep.
0: So it does exist. My apologies. I typed it is instead of was. Well, it's also a UK website. That's true. This person lives in the UK. That's right.
1: She claims that none of the previous books prior to hers that were written about children in any way whatsoever hmm. have information based
0: on actual trial transcripts. Hey, okay, lady. Sound like a, a,
1: a nut job. No, that's Margaret Murray. But sure. Both of them do. <laughs> There's a 2006 book titled The World of Perversion Psychoanalysis and the Impossible Absolute of Desire by author James Douglas Penny. And in that book, he notes that after Duray's death, the Duke of Brittany gained the rights to his lands and titles, which were taken by the Duke and then later divided up by his nobles. And in fact, give me a second, and we're going to go back to that PDF. And at the very bottom, very last page. After stating the information about the Gilles' hanging and the hanging of Henriette and Poitou, it says, No record contains the mention of punishment of other accomplices. In any case, their fates must not have been a matter of indifference to the Duke and his friends, since their master's conviction had resulted in the final transfer of all the DeRay castles into his hands. Due to accounts and speculations about Gilles DeRay in France in 1992, a, a mock secular retrial was taken and it was a major media event. This obviously did not include historians, authorities, or officials. Lawyer Jean-Yves Gubrycinia made a lengthy plea on the part of Gilles DeRay mm. in May of 1992. In November of 1992, Jean-Yves was able to organize an ad hoc court in Luxembourg palace and have all of the court information re-examined. The team, which consisted of lawyers, writers, former French ministers, parliament members, a biologist, a medical doctor, looked at everything they could get their hands on. They were led by writer Gilbert Protout and the Trial was presided over by Judge Henri Jeremy, and after hearing all the evidence and testimonials from the team, Judge Jeremy concluded that Gilles was wrongly accused of his crimes, and this time he was found not guilty. Protu argued that, quote, they found nothing in the investigation of his castle, nothing, not a clue, not a tooth, not a trace, not a hair, not one witness who can say, I have seen not a weeping mother who claims that there is a dress stained with the blood of my dead daughter. Not a father who brings a child's heart ripped from its chest, wrapped in a spotted cloth. We did specifically speculate that it was written in the transcript that they burnt
0: everything they could. Well, there's that in, like, what did they do? They like, re, re, reinstated back into the church? I mean, it's far too late for that. <laughs> right. He was excommunicated, it's done, it's
1: over with. Get over it. And nothing. then he was revoked. He was brought back into the church right before he died. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of back and forth. Oh, sure. Now, an interesting note, according to the news and academic commenters in 1992, none of the participants actually sought out medievalists for their advice to look at the evidence. There's actually a fictionalized biography of the proceedings called *Gildure*, or *The Mouth of the Wolf*, and was narrated by lawyer or uh, by head writer Gilles Protu. And in the book, he states, "Quote: The case of Ray's innocence is very strong. No child's corpse has ever been found in his castle at Tifauche and in his view, Gilles De Ray appears to have confessed to escape being excommunicated." that false charges were made up by rival lords to benefit from the confiscation of his lands, what little he had left. John Hosler, who's an associate professor of history at Morgan State University, who also specializes in the European Middle Ages and history of warfare, states, it is my impression that Gilles de acted his actual guilt was held much in doubt by historians today. All in all, the affair contains a number of pretty standard medieval tropes, and accusations from the kidnapping and torture of children to heresy accusations. Personally, it all looks highly suspicious to me. And is nigh. <laughs> <laughs> so we will um, let you decide based off of the evidence we've stated, whether you think he really killed children or it was all created just to strip him of whatever wealth he had left. What wealth? that's why I said whatever. He still had two castles. he was not allowed to sell. Basically,
0: I, I let me put it this way. I still think he killed the children. I don't just don't think he killed 140.
1: I mean, if he killed any children, I'd say it's under
0: 10. Yeah, probably. Just just a few in the attempts to maybe get the demon better off, up to earth, but doubt that he killed Hundred and forty, let alone six hundred. Psychopathic ph- psycho need to like uh, basically masturbate to them.
1: Yeah, we got a yeah. little bit left, and then we'll just close off the night because I know this is running a bit long. So, outside of his crimes, which most people do not know him much for, there is a tale that he inspired that you may know of which is called Bluebeard. It's a French folktale that was first published in 1697 and tells the story of a wealthy man in the habit of murdering his wives and the attempts of one wife to avoid the fate of her predecessors, which is kind of weird. So Gilles de Rais was the inspiration for Bluebeard. Bluebeard goes around murdering his wives and gaining his wealth. Gilles de Rais never killed his wives to gain wealth, but I suppose if you killed children you just make it easier for this book to be read he had
0: wives or a wife he had a wife okay i'm saying i was, I got, I was like wait a minute the
1: tale of Reyes, he killed children to gain their to gain, to use them to gain wealth bluebeard kills his wives to gain wealth that's pretty much the difference oh ah, yes. okay and the name bluebeard actually has a definition in the merriam-webster dictionary and it states, a man who marries and kills one wife after another. There's also even a verb, which I did not know, called bluebearding. And that means a way to describe the crime of either killing a series of women or seducing and abandoning a series of women. Lovely. Now, last note on Gilles Ray is that actually several years after his death, his daughter Marie erected a stone memorial at the site of his execution. Some years later, the memorial became a holy altar. Okay, this is also where it completely goes off the rails and takes a turn. I was so not expecting. It became a holy altar, which in of itself, weird. But that's not the weird part about it.
0: I was going to say, wait a minute, what? It's this not? Is, it, no.
1: It was a holy altar specifically for an asked, uh, specifically, it became at, okay, I'll move uh, to start. This is gonna get a little nuts for a second. It was a like a marker to say this is where Mary was killed. Over the years, the marker took additional significance and became a holy marker for Saint Anne. In some instances and tellings of the story of Jesus, Saint Anne is Mary's mother, therefore godmother to Jesus. So she's very important. And I guess some sects of Christianity. I never heard of her, but I'm not a Christian, so I don't know. But St. Anne, the saint of, I guess, mothers. And this eventually over time would lead women to flock to this memorial and pray to St. Anne to specifically grant them an abundance of breast milk for their newborn babies. So a stone altar memorial erected for a potential serial killer becomes a holy marker to the grandmother of Jesus as an altar to pray out for breast milk. I had to look it up to see if I could find it, just like I did for uh, Adam Worth, who has a tombstone. But unfortunately, the memorial no longer stands. It was destroyed by the Jacobins during the French Revolution during the 1700s. It is no longer there. But that was an extra added bonus twist to leave this episode with.
0: Weird. Right? You went
1: weird. Wait till next week.
0: Nope, I'm good. <laughs> In that case, let's end this episode because I don't know how I'm going to sleep tonight after that. i wait till next week. Again, stop reminding me. <laughs> That'll do for this episode of History Explains It All. And we hope to see you next week as we check through history to explain it all. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.